Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, and welcome to the Coffee Clutch. My name is Angie Eaton, and I'll be hosting our show today. But first, we have a few messages from our sponsors. Are you a parent with a newly diagnosed child with autism? Are you looking for answers on how you can help your child? The online training course, Discovering Behavioral Intervention, is the answer. Real parents take you through applied behavioral analysis in 10 step-by-step modules. Learn more at udiscovering.org. And that's the letter U and then discovering.org. And follow them on Twitter at udiscovering. And as always, we're proud to have Mayor Johnson, your special education superstore, uh, sponsoring today's show. The Mayor Johnson sale is on. Enjoy drastic savings on hundreds of products at mayorjohnson.com. That's mayor-johnson.com. Visit them today. Well, I'm thrilled that we're back for another short series of interviews with Dr. Sherry Florence. To date, Dr. Florence and I have piled a nice series of interviews on the Maverick Mind that can be found on thecoffeeclatch.com. And I recommend listening to those interviews for more in-depth explanation of who Mavericks are. And I'd like to briefly introduce our guest again. Dr. Sherry Florence has a dual doctorate in speech hearing science and psychology. She earned the coveted Career Development Award from the National Institute of Health on Brain Engineering, and she has more than 30 years of clinical experience, among many other things. In the early 1990s, she started Brain Engineering Labs to assist all types of mavericks, from children to medical students to adults in the workforce. Among other books, she's the author of Maverick Mind, which chronicles her own journey with her son, Whitney, and the remarkable recovery that she was able to guide him through, and which ultimately led her into the work she's done with brain engineering ever since. So, Dr. Florence, welcome back. Well, thank you, Angie. It's great to be here. Wonderful. Well, um, we're launching into another little series. Um, We're going to focus on some specific issues dealing with Mavericks, and today we're going to get advice from you on how to be the best advocate for your child in school. And Mm -hmm. I love this topic because Marianne, the creator of the Coffee Clash, ends each show with the saying, be your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? And really, the Coffee Clash was born out of advocacy. Besides Marianne herself, there have been many experts on the Coffee Clutch that have talked about advocacy and how to navigate the IEP and the art process in particular. But in this interview, we're going to talk um, about advocating specifically for the Maverick child. And just to repeat for those of you who may be joining us for the first time, a Maverick is a term that Dr. Florence coined, and it refers to someone who is exceptionally visual in their thinking with a language or auditory processing issue. So we learned from our previous set of interviews that Mavericks are very difficult to profile for someone not familiar with their traits and symptoms. So I imagine that, uh, Dr. Florence, the biggest, if not the biggest issue or hurdle for parents is to get agreement or buy-in from teachers and administration on what exactly is going on with your child. 
mm-hmm. especially since the maverick symptoms can look like so many other things, right? And mm-hmm. that the maverick profile is is not well understood. So um, the question is, assuming a parent has already come to the conclusion that their child is a maverick, what is the, the quickest and most effective way for a parent to communicate to the teacher or administration um, that really the issue with your child um, is a language processing issue that requires unique intervention? The the quickest way to get buy-in from the teachers is to use something that has been provided to us by the United States Office of Education, and it's based on international uh, best practice standards as well as federal standards in, in the United States. And that is to pass out what are called the teacher checklists for a language disorder. And if anyone would like a copy, you can come to my website at www.sherry, C-H-E-R-I, Florence, F-L-O-R-A-N-C-E, dot com, and we will send you this, uh, as well as a, uh, a manual on best practice standards. Once you pass out the teacher checklist, the teacher's now oriented to thinking about how your child is listening in the classroom, how your child is speaking, reading, and writing. And those are the language processors. Our input or receptive language processors are listening and reading. Our output are speaking and writing. And this is the most common reason that a child would have difficulty at school, problems in processing language. And once the teachers check off the symptoms that they're observing in the classroom, then there's a solution for each symptom. Well, I'll have to tell you from my own personal experience, that was really the the best step, not only for the teachers, but for me as a parent, because it made it crystal clear for me what the issues were for my daughter. Um, When we did those um, questionnaires, the questionnaire on listening um, in particular, and I imagine that's really the the case for most Mavericks, was was really shocking. Um, when I, I what I did was I took the questionnaire and I sort of um, tallied the responses, and it showed that about 86% of the time, my daughter was either having difficulty or failure in listening in school. So that was a mm-hmm. huge eye opener, and it really was a great tool. Mm-hmm. It is a great tool because it's. Many questionnaires are focused on the off-target behavior, what the child is doing wrong. This protocol is set up on correcting the problem. So for every item that the teacher checks as an issue, there's a solution, of uh, a skill that can be accommodated or trained. And those solutions we can provide the teacher immediately so things can get better the next day. And where do you find those solutions? Those solutions are in a manual from the uh, that is based on federal law, and we will send you that for free if you write into our website uh, at www.sherryflorence.com. 
We will send you the entire manual, including the checklist and the solutions, at no charge. That's fantastic. Um, what a wonderful resource for people. And, um, again, just for parents to get a, a good handle for themselves, I think it's um, a wonderful starting point. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go through the scenario then. So as um, a parent, you get these questionnaires, you hand them out to the teachers, you get your responses. Um, is it typically difficult to work with the teachers in implementing the solutions? Um, you know, since it's, it's following, you know, a unique, yes, they're based on federal guidelines, but it, it's not something that the teachers probably are used to or aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any suggestions for, you know, uh, um, really getting buy-in on, on solutions? I do. Uh, There are two thoughts that come to mind. First of all, a lot of the checklists that are commonly used in schools, and this is around the world because I've helped set up best practices in many foreign countries, and usually the checklists focus on things that children are doing wrong. And then once you've identified what they're doing wrong, it's difficult to think of how to make that right. With these checklists, we're working toward a solution when we pass them out. And the checklists and the solutions were developed over 10 years of of trial and error, working with classroom teachers, uh, looking at the solutions, matching them with the symptoms, and working back and forth between parent, teacher, and the child until the solutions are easy to implement and very teacher-friendly. So the the biggest number one purpose of passing these checklists out is to, as you said, Angie, to pull everybody to the same page. And that's a very nice step one because often if a parent thinks that the child, let's say, is autistic, the doctor thinks the child has a pervasive developmental delay, the teacher thinks the child is misbehaving, We have lots of different opinions, and we need to know the reason that the child is having difficulty, and everyone have agreement on that. What's so complicated about that is the emergence of complex language skills normally coincides with improvement in self-control. So if a child is misbehaving, it can seem like the child is choosing not to cooperate. The child's unmotivated doesn't want to do something, is oppositional. And when we start using the checklist, we find out that a child with a language impairment may not cooperate because they don't understand the directions. There's confusion. It's not due to a lack of motivation or desire, but the skill deficits that can be taught. And Angie, when you were talking about your daughter and the listening checklist and what a eureka moment that was, uh, when 1,500 teachers were surveyed, the number one reason for failing at school was an impairment in listening and following directions. So that's a huge disconnect. The number one skill is listening and... Mm -hmm. For Mavericks, that's usually their number one deficit. 
Right. And yeah. so when you think, well, what, why would a child fail at school? They don't know how to do their math problems. They're having trouble with reading comprehension. No, it was listening. Isn't that interesting, Angie? Yes, it really is. And and once you have that eureka moment, it sheds you know, such light on the situation. And that that was the moment for me where I really could understand my daughter in, in all sorts of areas. Like you said, the behavior. You know, the behavior goes across the board at school and at home. Um, and, and now we finally have an explanation for it. And, you know, you mentioned that uh, different people who have their hands in the issue, that doctors and the teachers and the parents, everybody has typically a different opinion. And I think one thing that parents can relate to is that, um, yeah, you look at um, ADHD and you look at those um, checklists and you say, yeah, yeah, you know, my child does meet those things. But then the treatment that you pursue doesn't really fit. You know, something might tweak behavior a little bit, but it doesn't really provide any sound progress. Mm -hmm. And when you key into that um, concept of the language processing, that's when you start finding results. So it, mm -hmm. it's hugely powerful, isn't it? It's very powerful. There's a book called Language Disorders in Adolescence, and the author writes, uh, how do we teach listening at school? And you turn the page, and there's a gigantic word, listen. Listen to me. <laughs> So when, you know, and that's that's not teaching the skill of listening, talking louder. This is even true in stroke patients that have receptive language processing problems. Uh, family members, sometimes even the, the medical staff, think if you raise your voice, the person can understand better. Or if you talk more slowly, the person can understand better, but you keep saying the same words. So when parents or professionals inadvertently continue to place pressure on the language-disordered child to conform behaviorally, but the child can't understand, it's not surprising that a chronic pattern of oppositional or other behavior problems develop. Absolutely. So, uh, and not only are you putting pressure on the child, uh, to conform, you're doing it through language. And also, I think, um, especially in school, the remedial approach is, for instance, if they're having trouble with reading or math, the solution, I mean, it would, it would seem a natural course to uh, maybe put the child in a more remedial reading, uh, you know, group or go back backwards and practice the basic math facts, for instance. Mm -hmm. But those solutions aren't going to work either. Um, right. Because and that's, that's, yeah, I mean, the, child is, is, the child is um, typically very bright, and, and that is really going to frustrate the child, um, and they're not going to understand the purpose of that, and it's just putting more stress and putting more failure onto the child, right? Mm-hmm. And a couple of resources that will will add to what you're saying, Angie. One is, uh, and, and we can give you the address to where to order this. It's a book called. It's a manual called the Parent Guide, written by Dr. Sam Goldstein, 
and Paige Hennerman, and they are talking about uh, what parents can do for the most frequent reason a child would have difficulty at school, and that's language processing problems. And to quote them, they say, there's a frequent assumption made by parents and professionals that when a child does not follow verbal reasoning or comply with verbal instructions, the child is choosing not to cooperate. Then mm-hmm. our frustration and anger may exaggerate the language-impaired child's already significant level of frustration, and that can lead to a temper tantrum or a flight-or-fight behavior. Exactly, and it just keeps adding to the confusion of the situation. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe we could talk um, briefly about some of the typical interventions um, that parents and teachers can work on together, um, particularly with that, that listening component. Mm-hmm. Well, when we think about... Uh, Listening, we want to think about making sure that the instruction is clear. If the instruction isn't clear, then what will follow will be a confusing series of output responses from the child. And and in failing at school, Dr. Dennis Cantwell, the premier psychiatrist uh, in the world during his lifetime, said that Uh, failing at school is the biggest threat to a child's well-being. It's the biggest threat to a developing self-concept in a child. So the number one reason for school failure is a language disorder. That can affect as many as one in five children, according to Dr. Cantwell. So that's a huge number of children with language disorders that are often seen as sometimes as if they speak articulate their words correctly, they can be seen as behavior problems, as Dr. Goldstein and Paige Hennerman were saying, and then we'd start to treat the behavior instead of the cause. What we want to think about, once we know that the children isn't li- the child isn't listening accurately, is modify the instruction or provide support for the instruction to get the child on the right foot. And many times the enlightenment about why the child is acting this way is enough for the teacher to make small modifications in in how the child is instructed. One of the modifications I would say that doesn't work, and I've come across this many times, is um, an instructor will say, well, if you don't understand something, raise your hand. Mm And I think... The problem is that if, if you don't, it, it sounds easy enough if you're a, if you are verbally capable, but if you're not understanding anything, you, you know maybe you don't even understand that instruction to begin with, right? Um, That's right. Well, I mean, where are the pitfalls in that? Well, Angie, there's a lot of pitfalls in that because. Um, Children that have receptive language problems often have expressive language problems. So to figure out what you did not understand and then create an explanation of that by raising your hand and talking is like putting salt in the wound. We already have a problem with talking. 
not necessarily articulating every word, but knowing how to formulate the sentence. And often in parent training classes, I give an instruction that's confusing as a demonstration, and then I have everybody try to raise their hand and tell me what, what it was they didn't understand and why. And these brilliant parents can't do that. It's a very difficult thing to do. Come up after a, let's say you're a high school student, after a 45-minute lecture and come up and tell me what I didn't, what you didn't understand. You know, you didn't understand it in the first place, so how would you figure out how to explain that? But that does seem the most common sense thing to say. So what so, we want to do is make sure. Uh, one time in in my uh, in one of the schools I I worked with quite a bit, the football coach taught history, and he had cho- kids he thought were not always understanding what he was saying. He had them stop by his desk after class and let him look at their notes for a minute. And he would put little marks like you need more here or this wasn't right or this was right, add in some things, and the student would leave with a better understanding. And this coach was so visual himself that he taught and walked around the room checking what everybody was writing down and helping them as he went along. He modified how he was talking to make sure that the notes were clear. Took a second more on his behalf, but this there was like he said one time in a teacher workshop that I offered, he said nobody has ADD in my class. Why not? Because of how he taught. Now, granted, right. he pretended to throw chairs out the window to explain things, but very dramatic teacher, but he did keep an eye on everybody and make sure they were following what he was saying. So I'll give you another example, Angie. Uh, When my son Whitney was little, he worked and worked and worked to try out for this little football team in the the neighborhood. he, He practiced and and he worked hard and built up his running and his different skills with his older brother who was on the football team. And he went to try out, and he made the team. So after about a week, I stopped by the coach, and I said, well, how's Whitney doing? And the coach said, terrible. We're always benching him. He has to sit on the bench for most of the practice. And I said, why? And he said, because he's very egotistical. He thinks he knows better than the coaches. He runs out and does what he wants to do, and he's he's just so self-centered. And I said, that doesn't sound like Whitney. I said, he has a history of a, of a hearing problem. He may not understand what you're telling him to do in the heat of the moment. He's trying real hard and he's doing the wrong things because he misunderstood you. And the coach said, oh, I have a hearing loss. I wear a hearing aid. I know what you mean. I We can fix this. So they just took a little extra second to make sure Whitney understood the directions. And the next week, the coach told me that all the coaches had voted Whitney captain of the team. So there's the solution, and it was an enlightenment. It wasn't that they had to buy a special piece of technology or you know, take take a master's degree in special ed. They understood if he knew what they said... He would do it right. You see, Angie? 
It, sometimes it really is as simple as that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And and that speaks, you know, talking about advocate, advocating um, in the school for your child. Um, you know, it's interesting. There are systems in place for intervention in school that teachers will follow, you know, and you can get up to the level of having an IEP and whatnot. But really, you don't always have to go that far. Uh, like you said, sometimes it's just this um, simple understanding, getting to the root of what the problem is, right? And well, so Angie, you can, you can go ahead. You, that that point you're making is so excellent, Angie. It is so fantastic because the United States Office of Education thought the same thing. In fact, this this idea was really hit home by a mom, just like you, Angie. And her little boy was in gym, and the, the gym teacher left to go to the office for something, and when she came back, all the kids were making a lot of noise, running around the gym, disrupting the school. She could hear them down the hall. So when she walked into the gym, she said, you kids know better than this. I don't ever want to see you doing it again. And so the little boy goes out in the hall, and he's acting like a monkey and shrieking and making a whole bunch of noise. And the teacher, the gym teacher came out and said, what are you doing? And he said, you said you didn't want to see me doing it. <laughs> and you can't see me out here. So she dragged him <laughs> down to the principal's office and called the mom. And the mom came and she said, you've got to be a better parent now. Your child is disrespectful and did this in front of everyone to to disrespect me. And the mother said, you know, I've raised five kids. This is my youngest. He didn't do this to disrespect you. He, he thought that's what you meant. <laughs> and the gym teacher said, that's impossible. Who would think I'd want you to go in the hall and act like a monkey? And she said, it is what he thought. And she just looked at the mother like you're you're crazy. So the mother went to the governor of Ohio and and said something's wrong here. The teachers don't understand that he didn't understand what she said. And from there a task force was formed that was endorsed by the United States Office of Education and the manual we've been talking about was created from this one mother's voice. How about that? That's interesting. I, I'm sorry. I can't help but share my own story like that because it does happen. I, my daughter was cleaning out her um, guinea pig cage, mm-hmm. and you know it has it has the bedding that's um, soiled, and you have to throw it out. And she was going to um, throw it out in the kitchen trash, and I said, "Oh, honey," I said, "Please throw that outside. Throw it out outside." And, and what I had meant was go into the garage, the big trash can we have in the garage for something like that. I don't want it in the house. And so when I went outside, I was so confused because she had taken all of the Benny and thrown it out on the front lawn. Uh-huh. And I said, why'd you do that? And she went, oh, you said to throw it outside. So that's what I did, and she realized in that moment what had happened. And, it, you know? Uh-huh. It, it, she thought it, she followed directions. <laughs> That's right. And the fact that I understood that this can be an issue, you know, we had a good laugh about it. 
because these things do happen from time to time. But mm-hmm. if I hadn't known that, I would have really gotten mad. Uh-huh. Just like the gym <laughs> teacher. She got mad because she thought no one would ever think she meant to act like a monkey in the hall. How about that? Well, I think that's kind of a a nice story for us to end our uh, show on today. It, um, it really, a lot of this just comes down to the the basic understanding of communication and the solution can can be simple as well um, and mm-hmm. really appreciate your offer of those um, questionnaires and that handbook to folks. I think that will be a huge help to people. Well, we'll be happy to send those materials. We have a host of free materials that we provide to help parents advocate for their children. And all you need to do is is go to my website. There's a place to write in for free materials, and we'll send you those with uh, our compliments. Wonderful. I appreciate it. Well, as Marianne ends every show, be your child's best advocate. If not you, then who?